Hey friends, this is Keenan, the Creative Arts Minister at the Christian Church of Carl Junction. And I just want to say thank you for joining us for this podcast. The Christian Church of Carl Junction exists to glorify God by being disciples who make more disciples. We do that by coming to God, thriving in family, and going on mission for His kingdom. We hope that this podcast helps you take next steps in following Jesus with everything that you have. Now, here's today's podcast episode. In James chapter 4, as we continue this series, we're going to only read verses 13 through 17. There's not very many verses in James that we're going to read, just a few, but there is so much packed in there that we want to uh, dig into. We want to see what God has to say for us today. In James 4 verse 13, let me just start reading here as James, the brother of Jesus, is going to talk to us as a pastor would today. He's going to encourage and challenge us a little bit. He's writing his letter to churches, uh, Christians that are scattered all across the world, and I believe that transcends time and applies to us as well. This is what he says. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, we'll spend a year there, we'll carry on business and we'll make money. He says to people, now listen, when you're thinking about your future and you're planning and you're thinking ahead and saying, I'm going to go spend a year in this place, I'm going to make some money, I'm going to store some things up, I'm going to pack it away, I'm going to keep things all together, I I immediately, I immediately think, I immediately think of uh, a man that came to Jesus once. He comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, he says, look, look, um, I have a lot of stuff. Jesus told a story, so I believe made this happen to him. A man had a lot of stuff and had barns that were full. And he got, got concerned about his future. And Jesus says this man wanted to tear his barns down, build bigger barns, and fill them up with stuff. So he had more things for the future and take care of what's coming down the road. And I think of that story right here. James says, now you who say, today or tomorrow... We're going to go here, spend a year there, care in business, make money. You're thinking about your future and considering that. He says to those people, he says, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. You don't know what's even going to come down the road to you tomorrow. You have no clue what's coming about. I immediately am reminded of the Israelites who are walking through the wilderness. You know, in the book of Exodus, they were slaves, the nation of Egypt. And Moses came by God's leading, stood for the king, said, let my people go. And they left the nation. They were going through the wilderness. And they were journeying to the promised land. And they had all these expectations of what was going to come in the land of milk and honey. And they were going to experience these great things. But on the journey in the middle, they were just like you and me. They were on this journey, and they were, they were tired. And they were hot. And they were hungry. And they were thirsty, and they were confused, and they were frustrated, and they were worn out, and they didn't know what was going to come next, and they were struggling. They were frustrated with their leaders, and they didn't know what the deal was, and they're hungry. And so Moses goes to God on their behalf. He says, God, the people are hungry. What are we going to do for the people? How do we feed the people? And God says, well, I'm going to send manna. I'm going to send manna from heaven to earth. They'll be on the ground in the morning. When the people wake up in the morning, they're going to go out of their tents, and they're going to see manna everywhere on the ground. And the manna that's on the ground, they can take it, they can bake it, they can boil it, they can cook it, they can, all these things. It must have been an amazing source of nutrition. It's going to be everywhere. And 
He says, tell the people to only take enough for the day. You take enough for today. You take enough for right now, and that'll be all they need. Don't store it for tomorrow. Now, when the Sabbath day comes, that was a little different, but most days, just take enough for today. Don't store up extra. And I picture the people, when they heard these instructions, they nodded along. Tomorrow there's going to be nutrition, there'll be food on the ground, get enough for the day, okay, yes, 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 I got it, okay, check, check. And they went out the next morning, they, they got up, they went out their tent, they stepped outside, and they saw manna everywhere on the ground, they'd never seen it before, and they went there, and they got on their hands and knees, they began to pick up the manna that's on the ground. And I wonder what was going through their heads as they're picking up the man. In fact, we know that some of them were picking it all up and they were, they were putting it all back into a jar. They were getting enough and they, were, they got enough for what their family was going to eat today. And then I wonder when they just kind of looked around, they're thinking about tomorrow. Because they remember yesterday, they were kind of hungry. What's going to happen tomorrow? They started looking around and no one's looking. They got enough for the day. And no one's looking at them, and so they just kind of go, a little more. And they put it in there. And they hang on to it. They put it in their cloak, and they, they take it back in the tent. They put it away, store it back. And they maybe, maybe they thought, yeah, I don't know about the rest of these folks here, but tomorrow when there might not be manics, I don't know if I can really trust this or not. I don't know if God will provide tomorrow. When there's nothing tomorrow and they're all hungry, we're going to be eating good. And so that day they cooked their manna, they ate it all, they went through their day, they went to bed that night, they woke up the next morning, they went to their jar, they looked at it, and the jar is full of rotten, maggot-infested stuff. Because God said, don't take enough for tomorrow, just hold it for today. I picture as James is writing to us, I picture that story, I picture that event, I picture the, the, the story of the man that wanted to tear his barns down and build bigger barns, I picture these things where God is saying, you know what, don't worry about tomorrow, You've got enough for today. Don't worry about tomorrow what's going to happen. You've got enough for today. It might not be everything that you think you want, but you've got enough for today. So don't worry about tomorrow yet. Be fully present where you are. I'll provide for tomorrow. You see, Jesus talked about this in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. He talks to people and says, do not worry about anything. He says, don't, don't, don't I take care of the birds of the air? Don't I take care of the, the, the flowers in the, the field? Don't I take care of all those things? How much more do I care about you? When I care for you, don't worry about tomorrow. You've got enough for today. Every step of the journey, God has always provided for us. Are there seasons where it's a little bit lean? Yes. Are there seasons where our wants outstrip our means? Yes. In fact, as we're working right now on our church, our budget for next year, I'll tell you right now, every year we would do this, we go through the same process, and we're looking at the budget for the next year, and the, the vision for what God's called us to, it always is bigger than the, the money we have available. It'll always be that way. And God just says, don't worry about tomorrow. You've got enough for today. You take what I've given you today. You manage it well. You, you take care of those resources. You steward that. And I picture Pastor James talking out of his letter right here, telling us, look, tomorrow's another day. So you right now, just be content where you are. You be content where you are. And you be fully present in the moment that you're in right now. Hey, we're going to come back to this thought in a minute, but for right now, just put a pin in that. James is saying you be fully present right now where you're at. You don't worry about tomorrow. You've got enough for today. 
He's going to go on and keep writing. He, he says the next verse, next line, he says, hey, so what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. What is your life? You're making all these plans. You know you won't be around very long, right? You know you've got a few years to live here on this planet. You've got a few years to live right here, and then it's going to be gone. Uh, many, many years ago, I was living in northeast Indiana at the time, and I was on staff at a church, and I was living in the parsonage of the church. And if you know much about parsonages, they're most often right next door to the church. And so the parsonage that my wife and I were living in, right here, was right next door to the church, had a little driveway that connected into the church parking lot and then left. So you had to go through the church parking lot to get into our, out of our house, and every day I'd get up to go to work, and I wanted to drive to work because I don't, I don't like to walk. My wife's like, you need to walk. It's good for you. I was like, you think it's good for me. I think driving's good for me, but that's beside the point. It's past frustrations and hurts. So I go to walk. One morning I leave. I leave the house and I go walk over the, to the church there. And I step out the door and there's just fog everywhere. You know, I, I love when I'm driving, I can look out, especially if you're out in some, some hilly mountain kind of country and you get the fog over the, the low-lying areas and fog over the rivers and the creeks and the ponds. I love that. I love the look of all that. I step out the door that particular morning. I step out there and there's fog everywhere. It's thick. In fact, it was so thick I, I couldn't see that table. It was that thick. There's fog everywhere. Is the most fog I've ever been in in my life. And now, I don't watch a lot of them, but I've seen just enough scary movies to know that I don't like it when I can't see that far away from me. But I step out in the, the yard, and I, I start bravely walking through the fog. And in my backyard, at this parsonage in my backyard, planted long before I lived there, there were some fruit trees there, and there was a little, little grapevine thing there, and all these things, and there was, there was little fruit and things laying on my yard all the time, and it would fall, and and there's a lot of deer, and the deer would come in to eat what was on the ground. They would just come in and, and eat it. We'd see a deer here, a couple of deer over there. It'd be this, this random kind of thing. And we loved sitting on our back deck and watching the deer all through our yard. Well, this particular morning, I step out in my yard, and it's foggy everywhere. And I think, I want to drive to work. My wife's like, it's good for you. So I was like, okay, I'm going to walk. And I start walking across the yard. And as I get a little bit farther into it, you just kind of, the circle of sight keeps going with me a little farther through the fog. So I get out in the middle of the yard, and all of a sudden, I'm like, well, there's a deer right there. I take a step, and there's a deer there. I step, there's a deer there. And I realize, all of a sudden, that I'm in the middle of this pack of deer. What is it, a pack, a herd? What do you call deer? I don't know. There's a bunch of deer in the yard. I counted about 15 or, or more deer in the yard all around me, eating. And they're all looking at me. Like I get in the middle of the yard, and they all, they all look up. I don't know much about deer. I don't think they're going to attack me, but I don't really know much about deer. I'm a city boy. So I just keep walking nervously through the yard. And it was awesome. The farther I went, the more deer I saw. Everywhere. And I get over to the church, and I walk into my office, and I, I put my stuff down in the office, and I, I grab a, a phone right there, and I called my wife back at our house over here, and I said, Grace, I just saw the most amazing thing. You need to go out in the backyard and just walk through the yard. It's the most amazing thing. There's fog so thick you can't see anything all around you. And you're going to walk into the fog. And as you get into the fog, there's going to be deer everywhere. And they're all around you. It's, it's the most awesome thing. Just trust me. Go out in the backyard, walk through the yard, and see all the deer in the middle of all the fog. And she calls me about, about, about three minutes later. She says, what are you talking about? I said, the backyard, this is so foggy, and there's deer everywhere. It's like thick, and you can't see anything. And she says, there's no, there's no fog. 
and there's no deer. Like you made it all up. I'm like, no, 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 no. I didn't make it all up. It's just gone. Like that. See, you're here for like a mist, a fog, but fog has the ability to disappear so fast. It's gone. That's what our lives are like. You know, there's going to be a time that none of us are going to be here anymore. And somebody else is going to be sitting where you're sitting right now. Somebody else is going to be living in your house right now. Somebody else is going to be working in your job, doing your function, doing the things that you do. And they're not even going to have a clue who you are. Because your life is like a mist. It's here now. And then it's gone. In fact, there's a whole book in the Bible written by the son of King David. His name is Solomon. He writes about this. He writes, let me read this to you. In Ecclesiastes 1, verse 2, he says, Meaningless. Meaningless. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. This is uplifting, isn't it? He says, Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. People come, people go. He jumped down to verse 11. He says, No one remembers the former generations. Man, that frustrates you. No one even remembers them. We get blinders stuck, and you do too. We get blinders on to where we only see what's right in front of us. We only think about what we're doing right now, and we forget all the generations that came before us that paved the way. Generations come and generations go. No one remembers them. Even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. There's going to be a day when somebody else is going to be sitting in here, somebody else is going to be standing right here, and none of them are going to know any of our names. And if we are focused on building up barns full of things, jars full of provisions for the future, legacies that we can hoard and hang on to, we're going to be sorely disappointed because no one's going to remember us. Our life is like a mist. It's here now. It's gone so soon. But if we point our lives toward the king of all creation, the king of eternity, and we make our lives about building on his legacy, pointing to him in everything that we do, then someday people will forget your name and they'll forget my name, but they'll know the name of the king who made them and loved them, and they'll know the name of the king because you provided a foundation for them to know him. You are like a mist. I am like a mist. We are here today. We are gone tomorrow. But Jesus lasts forever. And what we want to do is we want to live lives not pointing to ourselves but pointing to Jesus so that we know our lives will matter. Our lives are not, in fact, meaningless if we point them to Jesus. Our lives matter if we direct them to spreading the kingdom of God. And then James is going to go on. I want to go back to James 4. He's going to go on, and he's going to give us four practical kinds of things that we can do. Let's read this together as he talks. He says, instead, instead of trying to build a legacy of your own, a name for yourself, instead of trying to build a kingdom of yourself, instead of that, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and we will do this or we will do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. And then just in case you missed it, he says, all such boasting is evil, right? Not to be too subtle here, be blunt. All the arrogant boasting is evil. He says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. If anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. 
there's four very practical points here I want to draw out. Number one, James says, don't be arrogant. Don't be arrogant. He says it right here. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. We can't be arrogant and say, well, I know what God is calling me to, but first I'm going to go do the thing that I think is really important, and then I'll take care of God's thing. We don't say arrogantly to God, well, I know what God is calling me to, but first I need to finish my education and then I will do it. I know what God's calling me to, but first I need to cover my retirement and then I will serve the kingdom of God. I know what God is calling me to, but first I need to grow up and then I will do it. I know what God is calling me to, but first I need to raise my kids and then I will serve God. I know what God is calling me to, but first I need to make sure my kids have every opportunity to excel in sports and then I will serve the kingdom of God. First... You see how arrogant these things are? Because in my understanding of, of the word of God, when I surrender myself to Jesus and I surrender my yesterday, my today, and my tomorrow to Jesus, I'm no longer calling the shots. I surrender my ability to look at God and say arrogantly to him, I hear you, I respect you, but first I'm going to do what I want because my plans are really important. And my plans really matter. And then God, if I have time and it sounds still good to me, then I'll take care of you. So arrogant it sounds to tell your creator, your savior, your redeemer, the, only, the, on, the one who holds the only key possible to you, not dying in all of eternity, to tell him, now you just wait a minute, I'll take care of myself first. And then, if we have time. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We're about a mist. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You have no clue. You walk out of this room today, you log off this worship time today, you walk away, you go to work tomorrow, you don't know what tomorrow holds. You could be fired. You could get sick. You could lose your life. You could be in a car wreck. You could give everything. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You have no idea. So James says, don't be arrogant before God, but you surrender everything, your time, every moment you have, and you live fully present, trusting that the God of provision will provide for tomorrow too, and you have enough for today. So you live fully present, fully surrendered. At point number two, he says, you need to ask the Holy Spirit. James says it right here. He says it right here. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Not, it's my will or my plan or my thing, but if it is the Lord's will, we need to ask the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Apostle Paul, he also writes in Galatians chapter 5. Now, if you've been following along with this in our monthly Bible reading. We've been reading about the Holy Spirit all month long in our Bible readings. And every day, Kenan, uh, who was leading the singing earlier, and myself have been giving little teachings online, our little Facebook group, This is CCCJ on Facebook. Little things every day, talking about the Holy Spirit. And Kenan's actually talked about this verse two times here recently. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 5, he says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit which connects right to what James is saying. Instead, we ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we'll do it. You see, when I was in high school, when I was in high school, I was uh, then, I still am a little bit, I, I was super competitive in high school. If you play Uno with me now, I'm still a little bit competitive. right? It's about all the skill I got left is Uno. When I was in high school, I was super competitive. As you might tell by looking at me, you might, you might judge some things about me just a little bit. I don't really have the height or the stature of an athlete, a super successful one, so I didn't get to play a lot on teams. But I was competitive, so I had to find something to do. And so I joined the marching band. 
because I got to compete in something. You got to compete in something. I was in marching band. I spent many years in marching band, and I, I trained. I took it super serious. I was one of those kids. I took it super serious, and I learned that if you take 100 or so high school kids, you throw them in marching band things, you give them loud, obnoxious instruments and drums to bang, send them out in the street and say, march, there can be some chaos if there's not a plan and a structure and a system. And so the system is you got to keep in step together. You got to keep in step. You got to got to take the steps together. And I learned, man, I was good. I thought I was good. I keep in step. I keep time with anything. I still find myself. If you are watching when I'm down here singing along with our worship team or up on stage playing guitar with the worship team, you'll watch me. I keep time with my feet. I still do it. The marching band's still strong in this one. You got to keep time. If you don't keep time, if you don't keep time, the music's dead. If you don't keep in step, the line is done. You got to keep in step. See, James says instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll do it. Paul says, since we live by the Spirit, we need to keep in step with the Spirit. You know, there are seasons that the Holy Spirit calls us to take baby steps. This past year and a half has been baby steps for us. As a church, we've had to relearn a lot of things. The whole world had to relearn a lot of things. COVID has wrecked everything and changed everything uh, forever. We've had to relearn a lot of things. I, I never would have thought in ministry, after being in ministry for 20 or so years, I never would have thought that we would have to relearn how to have church. But we had to relearn how to gather for worship. How do we gather physically? How do we gather online? I don't know. We had to relearn how to have church. And for the last year and a half, we've been listening to the Holy Spirit. We've been asking the Holy Spirit, humbly surrendering our tomorrow for our today. We're being present in the moment, saying, what do we do? And there's times the Spirit says, you've got to take some baby steps. And so we've been taking baby steps together. And for some of us, the little baby steps get frustrating. Because I don't want to take baby steps. I want to get somewhere. Last year and a half, we've been taking some baby steps, learning how to be in the same room together, learning how to take communion together, to honor Jesus, to spend time with him, and to be safe. But we've been learning how to be online together, and we've been learning how to engage people so they can grow as disciples and make more disciples, baby steps. But then there's other times that we're taking baby steps together, and we're just kind of moving because remember, Jesus said to Peter, he said, on this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Because why? Because the kingdom of heaven will continue moving indelibly forward, closer and closer to the gates of hell, to overtake them, to defeat them. We are always on the march. We're keeping step together with the Holy Spirit. We're taking baby steps. We're always on the move. And there's moments that when we're asking the Holy Spirit, if, if it's the Lord's will, let us do it, that he says, okay, now's the time on three, one, two, three, and we take big giant steps together. We find ourselves in a whole new spot. And then the moment comes again, it's a giant step again. But if we're not keeping step with the Holy Spirit, we're not ready to take the giant step. We gotta keep in step with the Holy Spirit so we know when it's time to make that move. We've got to do that. We've got to ask the Holy Spirit what he'd have us to do. Point number three that James is making right here. He says we need to seek wise counsel. We need to seek wise counsel. 
And he says it uh, right here. He's talking about the people that are around us. We have merchants and people are asked to say, we're going to go over here, we're going to go over here. we got to make sure the people that are influencing us are the ones that are going to guide us closer to Jesus all the time. I've told this story a hundred different times to, in this room and to other groups I talked to about the CEO of a company called GE. His name was Jack Welch. And he would travel around and he would give seminars and talk about how we could lead and be successful in life and doing things. And, and he would always end it with Q&A time and questions and answers. And somebody raised their hand and asked a question. He said, sir, what's your question? He says, all right, I need one step. What's one thing I can do? What's the one thing I can do next? And Mr. Welch says, without hesitation, he says, son, you need to learn how to get out of the pile. And the guy says, well, I have a second question. What's that mean? He says, this is what it means. Every single one of us. We are surrounded by a pile of people. We're surrounded by people, and those people are who we are going to be like. Now, no, we, need, we need to have people that are outside the kingdom so we can share the good news, but our closest friends, the ones that surround us, the clo- they are going to determine who we are. And so when you look around the people around you, you've got to consider, are they who I want to be? Are they guiding me closer to Jesus or farther away from Jesus? Who are they? Are they following Jesus at the same speed, in the same direction, at the same time, in the same step that I am? If they're not, they're not helping us. We've got to seek wise counsel, wise friends. To use Bible words for it, this is what the writer of Proverbs says. Proverbs chapter 22, this is what he says. He says, do not make friends with a hot-tempered person or associate with one who is easily angered. Or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. You ever known somebody? You ever known somebody who is gentle and kind and good natured and generous and loving and forgiving and laughed easily? You ever known someone like that? Then they start hanging out around with somebody or a group of people, or they marry someone who's angry and bitter and complaining and negative and hateful all the time, and then you wait a year or two? And that person that was gentle and kind and joyful and loving and forgiving, they become angry. They become bitter. Because we become like the people that are around us. We need wise counsel. This is what the writer of Ecclesiastes, also the King Solomon, this is what he also said. He said, two are better than one. Now we read this passage of weddings a lot. It's not really talking about weddings. Two are better than one. Because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. When you're surrounded by wise counsel, if one of you falls down, you can help the other one up and you can direct them back to follow Jesus again and you can support them and you can let them lean on you and you can walk together in step with each other and in step with the Holy Spirit so you can continue to follow Jesus and his will on your life. But the opposite is true. If you're surrounded by people who are not following Jesus, they're not wise counsel, they're angry, and they're bitter, they're hateful, they're selfish, and they're arrogant, and you stumble and fall down, they'll pick you up, and they'll guide you away from Jesus. Who are you surrounded by? James says you need to surround yourself by wise counsel. Solomon says you need to surround yourself by wise counsel. So you can walk the journey. So you can continue on. So we need to remember to not be arrogant. We need to remember to ask the Holy Spirit. We need to remember to seek wise counsel. And then there's number four. 
the fourth point that James is making right here is it's that we need to plan accordingly. You see, I could read it and I could say, well, wait a minute. Didn't James actually say not to plan? He said, if you got a plan for today or tomorrow, go on there. Don't do that. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Don't make a plan, right? It's actually not what James is saying. He's saying to plan accordingly. You need to plan accordingly, not to, to satisfy your own arrogant, selfish whims and goals and desires. You need to plan accordingly so you can pre-plan for flexibility in following Jesus. This is what my wife and I do. We're not perfect, but I'll use this as an example. When we were first married, we adopted a motto. I've told you this motto before. We adopted a motto that seemed noble and good. It seemed like what a good young pastor's family ought to adopt, really. And then later we found out it was really hard and difficult, and we hated it. But we had to choose what we were going to do. And this is the motto. We decided we were not going to own anything that couldn't be broken, borrowed, lost, or stolen. Now, I mean, day one at our, at our wedding and opening wedding gifts and all those things, that sounded great. All these things are devoted to the kingdom of God. All this is devoted to the Lord. Our future children are devoted to the kingdom of God. And we won't own anything that can't be broken, borrowed, lost, or stolen until something got broken or stolen or I lost it or someone borrowed it and never came back. And then I get mad. I get mad. I was mine. My kids ran through the house and knocked something off. Broke. That, was, that, was, that was important. And my wife, who is so much wiser than me sometimes, looks at me and says, Adam, remember, we can't own anything that can't be broken, borrowed, lost, or stolen, or it will own us. It reminded me, because I sought wise counsel. So we planned accordingly, so that when things got broken, we didn't get stuck in being angry and bitter about it, because we had pre-planned for flexibility to surrender it, our today, our yesterday, and our tomorrow. We pre-planned some other things. We have pre-planned that in our home, if we have a, a room and a bed available for foster parents, if we had a bed available and there's a child in need, then we say yes. If we have the, the bed and the means to take care of that child, then we say yes. We pre-planned so that when we get a call about a child that's in need, we don't have to take a week to think about it and to consider it and to pray about it because we already pre-planned for flexibility. Yes. We've pre-planned for flexibility in our, our finances. So we know that every time we pay our bills, I look at our budget every single week. Every seven days or so, I look at our budget, and I reorganize and shuffle things around and take care of commitments that we have. But we know we've pre-planned that we will give financially to the kingdom of God, the mission of helping people come, thrive, and go before we give to any other commitment in the world. Before. We will give financially to the kingdom of God first before I give to the electric company. We will give to the kingdom of God first before we go out and buy that toy that we want. We will give to the kingdom of God first before we buy more shoes or go to the movies or whatever it is. And by doing that, whenever we get a little bit of extra money, we don't have to think about it. We don't have to think about, well, what are we going to do with this? How are we going to handle that? I don't know. And, and I'm, I'm naturally, I have to fight this my whole life, guys, confession. I have to fight being a little bit of a schemer. We don't have to fight that. Like, oh, well, now we could go do this over here. And my wife's like, but I thought we were going to do this. I'm like, well, there's a loophole, though. So you can see I found it. And we pre-planned for flexibility. So that as long as we're keeping step with the Holy Spirit, and God throws a little bit extra resources our way, 
We're ready to go with it. Sorry, camera guy. We're ready to follow and walk with it because we're pre-planned for flexibility. See, James, he doesn't want us to throw the plans out the window. He wants us to remember that we surrendered to the movement of a kingdom that's greater than us. So we drop our arrogance. When I follow Jesus, I don't get to call the shots anymore. I surrender that right. We ask the Holy Spirit, what would you have us to do with this? What would you have us to do with that? How would you have us to do these things over here? We ask the Holy Spirit to keep us in step. We seek wise, godly friends. We surround ourselves with people that are going to help us to thrive with Jesus instead of on our own. And then we pre-plan for flexibility to take the next step. You see, you see, you know, you know what the next step is. You know what comes next. You have been sent, and you know what comes next. For some of us, that is to surrender to Jesus for the first time. Now, maybe you got baptized a long time ago, but you know, because it's in your head. You wouldn't tell anybody yet, but in your head, you know, even though you got baptized as a kid, you need to surrender to Jesus for the first time. You've been sent, and you know what comes next. Because the Holy Spirit's been prompting you every time you listen and read his word. He's been prompting you. You know what comes next. Maybe you need to surrender to Jesus for the first time. The way we do it here at this church, we're baptized in water to be forgiven of our sins, to be forgiven of our arrogance. And we come out of the water with the Holy Spirit so we can keep step with him. And we can walk with him. You know what comes next. Maybe for you, that's to surrender your finances more fully. Maybe for you, it's to surrender your schedule more fully. Maybe for you, it's to surrender your kids. Just tell your kids, this might make you angry, but I'm going to surrender you to Jesus. And so you're not doing that anymore. You're going to be surrounded with godly friends. You're going to student ministry. You're going to be there because I believe in your future. Maybe for you, your next step, you know what it is. Maybe for you, it's that relationship that's not a healthy one. And you need to get a new relationship or seek counseling for the marriage that you're in. You, you know what the next step is. The problem is not knowing it. The problem is keeping a step to do it. So today, church, you've been sent to glorify God by being disciples who make disciples. And you know what that next step is for you. And so now... Today, James is calling you to go do it. Let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for all of this. I thank you for everything you've said through your word. I thank you for how you've called us your own. And Father, I pray that you would continue. You would continue to provide for us so that we could just be present in today knowing the opportunity you set us into right now is the moment you want us to thrive in and to point to you in so we would focus here knowing you've got tomorrow covered we've got enough for today and you're taking care of tomorrow and Father I pray that you would lead us to godly friends that could lift us up and that could hold us up and I pray Father that you would help us to know what to do next and I pray that as we surrender to you, we would surrender our yesterday and our today and our tomorrow and that you, Father, would be honored and glorified in every part of our life. 
I pray, Father, that you would transform this community. And I believe the only way a, tr- a community is ever truly transformed is when a church in the middle of it is truly transformed. And I'm praying, Father, you would transform our hearts to be more like yours. And Father, I'm praying all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for tuning in to the Christian Church of Carl Junction podcast. If you're looking to take next steps in following Jesus, please email me at keenan at cccj.church. And I would love to connect with you in taking your next step in following Jesus.